Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire, that a man had risen from the dead, that death could not hold him. Christ is alive. Oh, you have the right words. You sing the right songs, but your heart is not right. You get out of it. It's humbling yourself and being broken by the power. The first became so involved in things that we forgot about God. That is the danger confronting us now. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Church, it's time to wake up. Rub the sleep from your eyes. The world is on fire, but we barely notice the heat. We've distanced ourselves from the chaos, afraid of getting messy, of inviting brokenness into our lives. We applaud the ones diving in to save the drowning, but we stay safely on the sidelines, too afraid to get our feet wet. This past year has been difficult. We've lost loved ones, jobs, and security while political unrest and racial injustice have torn us apart. We are warriors behind a keyboard, but refuse to say the one thing that will change lives forever, Jesus. Prophets and teachers with revival in their hearts have moved us to tears and inspired us to care, but still we sleep. We sleep in our comfort, We sleep to cope. We allow addictions and isolation to dull our senses. What about the moment we first realized our need for Jesus? When we came to the end of ourselves and had no answer, when forgiveness and grace became our lifeline. Go back to that moment, to the passion, to the new life. And when the world asks us for hope, Let's offer them God's love. Let's tell stories of his faithfulness throughout generations. Let's tell them how he parted the waters and shut the lion's mouth. Tell them how Jesus took our punishment, how he bled as he carried that cross. Speak of the way the crowds turned on an innocent man because that was God's plan. But don't stop there. Jesus died, but he is not a slave to death. He took every shameful moment we have ever lived and exchanged his life for ours. And when that debt was paid, God brought him back to life, awake, fully alive and restored. We do not follow a crucified savior. We follow a risen king. It's time to wake up. This is our celebration. This is our invitation to share light with a world desperate for hope. Jesus is awake. Are you? 
Well, hello, Victory Church. Are you glad to be in the house today? We're excited that you're here. I, uh, I want to greet the Edmond campus. Those of you that are joining us live at the Edmond campus, we love you guys so much. Those of you watching online, we every week have people watching from all over the world, and we welcome you, and we're honored that you're here. And especially to those of you here at the Oklahoma City campus who are in the overflow room. We have an overflow room right now uh, just down the hall. And so if you want to try to venture back in here, you might be able to find a seat. Or you may be like, no, I'm good, man. I'm spacious. I'm good. I got room in here. Uh, no matter where you're at today, we're, we're glad that you're here. And really more than anything, we're glad that Jesus is awake. Jesus is awake. He's, the, the tomb is empty. He's risen from the dead. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we would, we're, we're just honored that you're here. Uh, you don't have to believe what we believe. Uh, you belong, and we're, we're glad you're here, and we're honored that you're here. And maybe you're not a first-time guest, but you're kind of a once-a-year guest. We're glad you're here, too. That's awesome. We're, we're glad that you're here. Maybe you're visiting family. Uh, maybe you come here because Mama told you you're coming here. No matter what brought you here, no matter what brought you here, we're just glad you're here. So just relax. Just kick back. Relax and have a good time. We're starting a new series this week called Awake. And uh, I really hope that you'll be a part of this series as we go through it. And uh, no matter if this is your first time or you're a regular, we would love for you to join us uh, as we move forward here. So if you want to turn with, with me in your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 28. Some of you have paper Bibles. If you have a device, you can go to the um, Uversion Bible app and pull up the Bible and follow along. Or you can actually click on the events tab and you can see all my notes and you can help me preach. And I'll, you see all my notes and, and type in your own notes and email them to yourself. Or if you're like, nope, not doing any of that, I'm going to sit here. That's cool too because there's verses on the screens behind me. So uh, no matter where you're at today, you can follow along. Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. This is probably the most famous Easter morning passage there is. Verse 1 through 7, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. How would you like to be the other Mary? That's, I mean, the, the other one. Uh, went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. And this is probably the most famous Easter morning passage right here. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen. That was the first sermon ever preached about the gospel, the good news of the gospel. From the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, there, there you will see him. Now I have told you. With that being said, real quickly before I go into my sermon, I think it's really interesting that I just kind of have to pause and point this out. This is the very first time that the message of the risen Savior had ever been preached. And I, I hear all the time people say women shouldn't preach. And I just, oh, I just went there. It got super awkward. You feel the awkwardness in the room? I just want to give you some information. The very first person on earth that Jesus ever trusted to share the gospel was a woman. <laughs> so no matter where you're, no matter what you think, I, I think Jesus trusted a woman first because the guy would have forgot about halfway there and had to come back and be like, no, what was it again, Jesus? I forgot what it was. And he knew the woman would remember every detail. And he would like sit, she would sit all the disciples down and say, you'll never guess what happened. And told him the whole story. I want to go back to verse 6. Verse 6 is really the part I want to hone in on today. Verse 6 says, he is not here. He is, in this key word, risen. 
this word risen. What does risen mean? Well, I always like to go back to the original Greek text, the Greek text of New Testament, Hebrew text in the Old Testament. The Greek text in this passage is the Greek word egyro, and it means to rouse from sleep, and then, check this out, to awake, to wake, to, to, to wake up to something. And I, I'm excited about this series that we're starting called Awake, and uh, in that video you saw, it says, what, what will it take to see the next move of God? And some people call it revival, whatever, whatever word is illustrated to be used. I'm convinced more than ever that revival is going to start individually before it starts corporately. And so really what we need to focus on is not waiting on someone else to start a quote-unquote revival that you can get in your car and drive to and start focusing on, God, what do you want to do in me? And what do you need to awaken within me? And if you never bring revival to anybody else, God, will you just do it in me? And that's where this begins. And I, I pray that you'll join us in this, in this quest. So I really think that how we start this out is by first, it's a great day to start this series on. Because if you ever want God to awaken something in you, you must first come to the understanding that Jesus is awake. And he woke up. And in fact, that's the title of our message today, that Jesus woke up. This, this is foundational. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my son Jason and I, we have some bald patches in our yard. And so we went out and turned up the soil and sowed a bunch of seed, a bunch of grass seed. And, you know, for days after, we're all going out. Like as a family, we're all going out. Is there any grass coming up? And we're constantly going out and looking for these little sprouts to begin popping up. And there's been a couple of times where like these stupid things, I wasted a whole day of my life throwing seed into the ground and these things are never gonna wake up. These things are never gonna rise. Because my, my thought was if, if all I did was throw some seed in the ground but nothing ever rose, then this was all for nothing. And many times we talk nonstop about Jesus died for our sins and he did die for our sins. But I wanna tell you something, if Jesus, the why today is so important is because if Jesus would have never woke up. Let me, let me, let me tell you how, show you how Paul said it. Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, 16, Paul said, if the dead aren't raised up, that would mean that Christ is not raised up either. Now watch this. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. Whew. That's why it's such a big deal that we celebrate today. We celebrate today that Jesus got up. Jesus got up. Have you ever heard this phrase that people say when they say, um, he's up for it? He's, are you up for it? Somebody asked you a question, are you up for it? Hey, we're going to go down here. Are you up for it? What they're saying is, do you want to get up off your tail and go with us? Are you up for it? Do you want to do it? A friend of mine, he's actually here in the service today, Steve. We grew up together and we vacation a lot together. And somebody almost dies every time we go somewhere. Like we're always doing something crazy and stupid and they make for great sermon illustrations. But there's lots of times where, you know, I know that if I look over at Steve and say, hey, are you up for it? He's always going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm up for it. And what he's saying is, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. And when you say, are you up for it? What you're saying is, I will get up and I'll do that thing. The thing that you're saying, the thing that you want to do, the thing that you need, I'm up for it. And you know what Jesus is? He's up for it. He got up. And what, the, the way I like to say it is, he got up for that. He got up for whatever it is that you, that you need, whatever it is. If you're, if you're struggling, if you feel lost, if you're depressed, if, you're, if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with sickness, disease, anything on this earth that we as humanity suffer from or lack of, 
Jesus would look you in the eye and say, I got up for that. I got up for that. Come on, just help me preach. Look at your neighbor and say, he got up. In fact, I would like to officially change the sermon, my sermon title, if that's okay. Am I allowed to do that? This title of my sermon is, he got up for that. He got up for that. Because as humans, we always have something that is a that. There's always something. Every, every person in this room, every person in the overflow, every person at Edmund, every person watching online, we all have a that. And your that is, whew, that's something. And Jesus wants us all to know that, that he got up for that, that if you need hope, he got up for that. If, if you need forgiveness, he got up for that. That's a big one. If you need provision, he got up for that. If you need healing, he got up for that. If you need encouragement, he got up for that. If you need joy, he got up for that. If you need peace, he got up for that. And all through this text, and that's what I want to do for the remainder of my time, is I want to take these seven verses, and I want to show you. Now, Jesus got up for a lot of stuff. Anything you need, he got up for that. But in this passage, I want to show you four things that I see in this text that he got up for. That applies to every single one of us today. The first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're afraid, he got up for that. Now, the reason this is really, really important is because we live in a day and age where fear has become profitable. The media industry feeds off your fear, and your fear causes their balance sheet to go up and to the right. So if there's ever been a time that it's, it's imperative that we do not fear, we do not allow the things of this world to drive us to fear, it's, it's now. And I think it's interesting that the angel comes down, rolls this stone to the side, the Marys are there, uh, later Jesus would tell them the same thing, and the very first thing the angel tells them is, do not fear. In fact, it is a ridiculously reoccurring theme all through the Bible. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, every time there's this encounter, every, almost every single time that there's a, a divine encounter, whether it's Moses, whether it's Elijah, whether it's, whether it's Gideon, whether it's Saul, whether it's David, no matter who it is, the very first thing God ever tells anybody is, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. Do not, do not fear. So God is obsessed with this. And there's this really cool example of this in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus got up for something. It's, like, it's almost like it's a, a, a foreshadowing of something he would do later in the tomb. It's found in Matthew 8 and verse 24. It says, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. And by the way, storms of this life came, come up just like this. Suddenly. It's a phone call. It's an accident. It's a social media post. It's an announcement from the Oval Office. Whatever it is, there's something that comes and it becomes a storm and it happens suddenly. And it says, so that the waves swept over the boat. Now, I'm no nautical genius, but I'm pretty sure that's a bad thing when waves start coming in over the boat. That's a problem. And the Bible says Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. We're afraid. That's what they were saying is we're afraid. We're terrified. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now watch this. Then he got up. He got up. Look at your neighbor and say, he got up. I love that Jesus got up. He could have just been like, it's your problem. I'm Jesus. I'm going to be fine. Y'all, y'all figure it out. You know, I'm not worried about dying. Y'all, y'all. And this is what I love about Jesus. It's a picture of what he does for us. He gets up for us. 
if we're struggling, if we're worried, if we're, if, we're, if we're going through difficulty. And it says, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. I believe that Jesus will get up for you too and rebuke the wind and the waves. Unfortunately, he doesn't always rebuke the wind and the waves of your circumstance, but he always comes to rebuke the wind and the waves that reside inside of you. The, the real key, the real key for believers is our ability to have peace on the inside with turmoil on the outside. And most people think that Jesus is just there to fix all of our problems. He's a proverbial vending machine. And if I can just push A8, he's going to make all of my circumstances go away. Really, most of what Jesus wants to do is help you navigate trouble, not alleviate trouble. So I love this picture of, of, of Jesus, you know, through, through his humanity on his time on earth. It, it, it'll portray him as sleeping or he grew tired but I don't want you to be mistaken because the God you serve does not sleep. <laughs> he is not asleep to the things of this world. He understands what's happening. He knows what's going all around us. In Psalm 121, verse 1, it says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep, will neither slumber nor sleep. And the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. What's that saying? It's 24-7. Whether it's day or night, it does not matter. He's with you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. What is God saying? He's saying, stop fearing. Fear not. Do not let fear. I got up for that. Stop allowing fear to rule you. And really, it's giving him the control that he deserves. Um, I like to picture Jesus, you know, in my weird mind, not as an eight-ounce, five-pound baby Jesus. I don't do that. But I like to picture Jesus as like my CEO. He is the chief executive officer. You know what CEOs have? They have the final word. CEOs get the final word. They can meet in offices and can say whatever they want. They can have whatever committee meeting. They can say whatever they want. But at the end of the day, C the CEO is going to say yes or no. Jesus is my CEO. But he's not just my CEO. He's my CFO. This is good news too. He's the chief financial officer, which means he's in charge of the resources. He's in charge of the money. But he's not just the CFO. He's the COO, which means the, C the chief operations officer is in charge of the day-to-day -day operations. Jesus is in charge of the day-to-day -day operations of this earth, okay? But my favorite title that I give Jesus is the CPS. He's the chief problem solver. And when fear creeps in is when you try to take any of those four titles and put them back on yourself. If you try to operate as the CEO, you will be fearful. If you operate as the CFO, you will be afraid. If you operate as a COO or the chief problem solver, fear will begin to creep back in. And Jesus declared this. Jesus made it very clear why he came to this earth. He came to fix stuff. He's the chief problem solver. Uh, this one time he was at a synagogue in the book of Luke, and they would, they would read the Old Testament. They would read uh, uh, the scrolls, and they would unroll these things. And one time Jesus unrolled, they handed him the scroll to read it. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's giving his messianic prophecy. He's saying, I'm here to fulfill this prophecy because he has anointed me too. So he's saying, this is why I'm here. 
I'm here to proclaim the good news to the poor. I'm here because he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was proclaiming for all to hear, I'm here to fix it. I'm a fixer. It's what I do. And I, I'm about to get up for that. I'm up for it. I'm up for anything you need. What do you need? I'm up for anything that this world could bring you. In John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And then as almost to contradict himself, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Wait, wait, Jesus, you just said that I'm going to have peace, but then you turned around and right around and said, I'm going to have trouble. He's like, yeah, I want you to have peace in trouble. And I think we've become so obsessed, if I can politely push back, just, just gently. I love, I'm a patriot. I love our nation. I want to I keep our values. I want to fight for those values. But we cannot begin to sacrifice Jesus on the altar of our nation. What do you mean by that, John? I mean that we, we cannot become so obsessed with preserving our nation that we lose sight of the possible persecution to come. If you read the book of Revelation, I shouldn't preach this on Easter morning. This is not, this is not exciting stuff. But if you read the book of Revelation, Christians, can I tell you what's coming? Persecution. We need to be preparing our children for persecution and to fight through persecution. All right, I'm going to get off that. It's Easter. Let's talk about happy stuff. All right. I, I, um, I love this idea that Jesus is awake to the problems of this world. Um, that there is nothing happening in this world that he is not aware of. Okay? I know that's a simple thought, but it's a profound thought that we need to digest. There's nothing happening in this world that has caught him by surprise. There's nothing happening in your world that has caught him by surprise. And in our culture, there's this real chasm of divide happening where there's the people who have no idea what's happening and the people who know everything that's happening. And they're referred to as woke. Yeah, we're going to talk about that too. It's awkward. It's just going to be an awkward day. Now, I, I was just curious. So I went to the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? I went, <laughs> I went to the Urban Dictionary and I looked up the word woke. Okay. This is what woke is defined as to be aware, to know what's going on in the community. And I thought to myself, Jesus is more aware of anything that's going on in the community than anybody on this earth. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows everything that you've ever thought. So Jesus is aware. Jesus is awake. Jesus is caring. Jesus is more concerned about social injustice than any human being that's ever walked the face of this earth. Okay? So maybe, this is kind of a weird thing to say because of the way we think of this word, but maybe Jesus is the most woke person here. I'm just trying to communicate that Jesus is awake, y'all. He's awake. We need to in the boat, the disciples had to go over and say, Jesus, wake up, wake up. You don't need to wake Jesus up. The only Jesus you need to wake up is the Jesus that's inside you. Because Jesus is asleep in here sometimes. So I need to wake up the Jesus that's in me, okay? So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. 
He got up for that. Okay, number two. If you're taking notes, write that down. Write this down. If you feel defeated, he got up for that. Now, this is so cool. Verse two. Okay, let's go back to verse two. I preached a sermon on this several years ago. Verse two. If you think the Bible's boring, you're crazy. Watch this. There, there was a violent earthquake for an angel, which means because an angel. The earthquake happened because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. That's gangster stuff right there. That is straight gangsta. I don't care who you are, that's cool. That's like some Marvel Thor stuff coming down on a bolt of lightning. The only reason there was an earthquake is because I showed up. And I walked up to this stone and I rolled it to the side and then eat without saying a word. This is what I want you to catch. Without saying one word, the angel was declaring that death is defeated. This angel, this angel, man, gangsta angel, rolls this stone to the side and then just hops up on this stone. And I just picture him like crossing the legs like, what up? Like, <laughs> just sat on it like a gangsta and looked at Mary and the other Mary and was like, hey, what's up, y'all? I mean, I'm here to, I'm here to do my thing. But in, in the posture of this is so powerful. And even in the angel's posture, you got to think about what the stone symbolized. The stone symbolized the thing that was going to ensure that Jesus remained dead. And even the guards that were put there were to ensure that this thing that we put, and, and, and the angel comes and sits on the very thing that's representative of death defeating Jesus. And I think that there's sometimes that we need to be reminded that death has been defeated and that the tomb is empty and that because the tomb is empty, I don't ever have to feel defeated a day in my life. The enemy cannot have shame or regret or anything, cannot place anything on me that would ever make me feel defeated. And if I ever do feel defeated on this earth, I must be reminded that death has been defeated. Therefore, I don't need to feel defeated. Uh, Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 1.9. He said, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, that's really important to know, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed. Like, I like that they use destroyed. It didn't just say defeated or kind of beat. No, like you could, do you know in sports, you could beat somebody or you could destroy them. Like you can, he just wants us to know that he destroyed death and has brought life and immortality. If you have life and immortality, why would you ever feel defeated? In, in Christ's eyes, you're immortal. You're going to spend eternity in heaven. You are, guys, you aren't defeated. Trust me. He says it this way in Colossians 2, 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Now watch this, more gangster. Having canceled now, we live in a cancel culture, and Jesus is like, well, I'm going to cancel some stuff too. <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm not going to miss out on the whole cancel thing. I'm going to cancel some stuff. He says, I canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us in, to condemn us. 
You know what that means. It means that whenever we were, when we were dead in our sins, what that meant is the, we, in the Old Testament, the only way to redeem the sins was to sacrifice something on an altar and to kill it. And in that sacrifice, we would become redeemed once a year. Or when something was sacrificed, it would redeem the sins of a nation. And Jesus came to say, I, you owed a debt that you couldn't pay. We can't, you can never act good enough. You can never behave good enough. You could never do anything that would redeem yourself. It's impossible. And Jesus said, I came to cancel the debt on you that condemned you. That's why Paul later in the book of Romans said, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus canceled the condemnation. It's been canceled. And death has been defeated. And we, we get to benefit from this. Verse 15 says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Guys, we just need to wake up sometimes to the fact that Jesus is awake. If you feel defeated, you just need to remind yourself that Jesus is awake. Jesus is awake. And he came to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And you see this playing out in David's life. There's a lot of moments when David is writing the psalm. He's a psalmist. And he's writing his agony. And I'm so thankful that he did. I'm, I'm so thankful that he didn't be like, well, that's kind of negative. I'm not going to write that today. No, he just poured his guts out on the page, which helps me in my humanity to understand what it feels like to be a human. And you can see this transition in him in Psalm 57. In first, verse 1, he says, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. If you go down to verse 4, verse 4, he says, I'm in the midst of lions. And I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth and spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And Saul is on his heels. And David has been crowned, he's been anointed king, but Saul is trying to kill him. And he's in agony. You know what he feels? He feels defeated. He feels defeated. Here I am supposed to be a conqueror, and I'm hiding in caves. But something really cool happens in verse 8, because verse 1 through 7 is him just kind of inviting all of us to his pity party, you know? You guys invite people to pity parties? Everyone's invited, come on, it's gonna be awful, it's gonna be great. So he was having this pity party, but something powerful happens in verse eight. In verse eight, he stops talking to God and he starts talking to himself. Now watch verse eight. Verse eight, he says, awake my soul. He's not telling somebody else to awake his soul. He is literally stepping outside of himself and turning around and talking back to his own soul and going, wake up! What is your soul? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Did you know that you can talk to your emotions? David is saying, awake. Wake up, David. Know the truth of what's happening. He goes on to say, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. Because worship will always take your mind off you and back on the Lord. So he says, I'm going to worship. He says, I will sing of you among the people. I will be a testimony. You know what take your mind off yourself? If you'll be a testimony to somebody else. Verse 10, for great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. When he says, awake my soul, we talked about the awake, the Greek word for awake. The Hebrew word for awake means to rouse oneself, to stir up oneself, to lift up oneself, to excite oneself. You know the difference between a mature believer and a non-mature believer? Mature believers have the ability to encourage themselves in the Lord. Yeah, non-mature, and it doesn't, I'm not saying one's, you know, if you're a non-mature believer, that's okay. We're, we all have those moments, trust me, where we're all immature believers. But that's what, imagine God's trying to build an army, okay? We're referred to as the army of God, the army of the Lord. 
Imagine if you're the general of an army and every day all of your privates in your army are coming to you. Now, how do I shoot this gun again? Like, what, what, where's the trigger? What, what? God wants us to be able to awaken our own souls, to encourage ourselves, to open the Bible, to get in his word, and to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Number three, if you're taking notes, let's go. Number three, if you feel empty, he got up for that. He got up for that. I think it's, it's pretty cool, the dichotomy that's at work when these two women go to the tomb. Because the tomb that they're going to symbolizes brokenness. They're not going to the tomb to rejoice and have a good time. They're going to the, cho- to the tomb to mourn, to be reminded of the pain, of the confusion that happened. They feel empty. They feel completely lost. All the disciples at this point, think about it. They had all left everything. They left their careers. Some of them had left family to follow this man that they believed was their savior. And then all of a sudden he's dead? Like what? They feel completely empty. They they feel completely broken. And the angel says to them in verse 1, this is not the angel. This is what happens in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Whenever I pictured this, or whenever I grew up going to Passion Plays, or Shepherd of the Hills, anybody remember Shepherd of the Hills? Like all of these plays that you watch growing up, and there's always, you know, you always picture Jesus like he's he's dead, and then his eyes open, and then breath fills his lungs, and then he stands up, and in the play, the stone rolls aside, and Jesus comes walking out, hey everybody, I'm here, doo-doo. And, and I was like, okay, that's how it happened. You know, the stone rolled inside. And, but when I read this story, it didn't really happen that way. Um, Jesus, so let me put it this way. In the book of John, in chapter 20, the Bible says that the disciples had all gone into a room and they locked the door behind them. And then, more gangster, Jesus come walking through the door gangster. I mean, holy cow. Can you imagine what that would be like? So here's what I think. I don't think Jesus really, it's not like Jesus woke up and he was like, oh my gosh, how do I get out of here? I'm trapped. (laughs) And and the angel didn't come down. He's like, hold on, Jesus. I'm going to get you out of there. Hold on one second. No, Jesus woke up and walked right out of that place. So this Bible says that the angel came down like a gangster and rolled the stone out of the way and then sat on the tomb and Jesus was nowhere to be seen. Just the Marys. So, what I concluded was is that the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so we could look in. There's something really powerful about when we look at a place that was supposed to be filled with grief, and instead it's filled with joy. Think about the dichotomy of this. So the Marys were going to a place that was supposed to be filled with pain. And because it was filled with pain, they were left empty with grief. They found the opposite. When they looked in, they saw something that was empty. And the thing that they thought was going to be filled with grief was actually empty, and the emptiness of the tomb actually filled them with joy. So maybe it's that we look at things the wrong way. Maybe it's that we become so consumed with the grief or the pain or the emptiness of our situations, and God wants us to just flip the script 
And if, you're, if your marriage feels empty, maybe Jesus would say, stop looking at your empty marriage and look at my empty tomb. And know that in the emptiness of your marriage, Jesus would look at you and say, I got up for that. I got up for that. What, whatever area of your life feels empty and broken, Jesus would come and say, I, I got up for that. The angel rolled back the stone to show them that the place of hopelessness was actually a place of hope. We find this was what today's all about. This is what Easter Sunday is all about. It's finding hope. So whatever place that you're trying to find that feels empty, forget looking at the emptiness of your situation and begin to look at the emptiness of the tomb and let the emptiness of the tomb fill you with whatever you need to get through the emptiness of your situation. That's a tongue twister. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you, so you have something to play in this, as you trust in him. So as you trust in the Lord, he, you trusting in the Lord is what tips the pitcher over for him to fill you with hope and joy. You're putting your trust and your hope in the things of this world instead of putting your hope and your trust into an empty tomb. And God says, when you figure that out, I will tip the pitcher over and fill you to overflowing with so much hope and joy. Last but not least, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you feel lost, he got up for that. Um, I think we all, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we all have moments of our life where we just feel lost. Where everything seems broken. I don't know which way to go. And I think this is how their disciples felt. I think they'd, they'd, they'd cashed all their chips in on Jesus. And when Jesus died, they were just left with nothing. They were completely lost. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. And, you know, preaching Easter is, is challenging at times because you, it's, it's the same story. Still hadn't changed. <laughs> I got to write another sermon on the same story. It's, nothing's changed. <laughs> he got up. He's still there. He's not there anymore. But what's cool about the Bible is you could be 85 years old and read a, a, a passage that you read every year your whole life, and God will still bring a fresh revelation from the scriptures. And this happened to me as I was reading this text. I want to show this to you. This is such a, such a cool element of this story. In verse 7, the angel told them, Now go quickly and tell the disciples he has risen from the dead and is, now these four words right here jumped off the page. He's going ahead of you. He's going to go ahead of you. So there was really some beautiful things that's being illustrated in this moment. What the angel is telling them, and Jesus is about to tell them, I'm going to read it for you, is, hey, I'm here right now. I'm here with you right now. And tomorrow, when you don't know exactly what's coming tomorrow, I'm going to be there too. That's it. That's good. In fact, I went ahead of you there. So I'm actually there before you'll ever get there. Isn't it? Have you ever been on a trip somewhere before where... You're going to a destination you've never been to before, but you like to travel with people who've been there before. It's because they've gone ahead of you. They can tell you what to do and what not to do. Yeah, don't eat at that restaurant. You'll get diarrhea. It's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> right? They'll tell you, don't do that. That's bad. But this is what Jesus is promising us. And I love this. Let me, let me go on because something really cool happens. Like as if the angel visiting them wasn't enough. So now they run off to tell the disciples, and this happens in verse 8. It says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. And in verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. 
Now, what this screams to me is it's not enough for a preacher to tell you about Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you for himself. Jesus, Jesus wants to visit you too. It's not that you just get to hear about Jesus through all these people who are supposedly more spiritual than you. Nobody's more spiritual than you. Jesus wants to visit you just as much as he wants to visit anybody else. And this is what's portrayed in this. So suddenly Jesus met them there. And I've always wondered what Jesus would say, like if I met him in person and he, greetings. I don't know. I thought it'd be kind of more profound. Just like, hey man, how's it going? You know, greetings, he said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, see this reoccurring theme? Do not be afraid. And then go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Tells them the same thing the angels told them. I don't know why Jesus was like, well, I don't trust this angel. I'm going to say it again just in case. I don't know why it was repeated, but Jesus just said the same thing that the angel said. And, and so she goes and does this, but there's three, three really quick things, and then I'll close, that the angel and Jesus, they both say the same thing, and I think, I think they're both trying to communicate three really specific things to us today. And the first thing that both the angel and Jesus gave to them was correction correction. Remember, both of them said, do not be afraid. That is not a suggestion. It was a command. And it wasn't just a command. It was actually a correction. Because what they were saying is, I see fear in you, and I want you to stop that. And we don't like the word correction. You know, if you call your kids, get in here, I'm going to talk to you. Your kids are like, oh no, I don't want to do this. And we're like this with God. When God corrects us, we feel like we're about to get beat up. God doesn't work that way, guys. If the Lord is correcting you, it's never done in that way. And if you ever feel like a preacher is beating you over the head, that is not God. The church has gotten a really bad rap. God has gotten a really bad rap because of the way the church has treated people. Okay? And I just need to say that. Because because you know that when you correct your children, um, if you're a good parent, you correct your children, and then it's followed by something very comforting. So the first thing the angel and Jesus does is they correct and then they immediately comfort. What Jesus and the angel were illustrating in their presence was, hey, hey, I know, I know you feel lost. I know this is crazy. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, these, yeah, this is crazy. I know. Listen, I'm here with you. I'm right here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm here. Right in the middle of your pain, right in the middle of your worry, right in the middle of your fear, right in the middle of the craziness, I'm here. But what's way more comforting to me, the now doesn't really worry me in life. It's the unknown of tomorrow. And I love that Jesus comes to address the now, but he also says, hey, and I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. So find comfort. You feel lost, but guess what? If we're lost, we're lost together. And I know that if I'm with Jesus, I'm not lost. So I'm good. As long as Jesus is with me, I'm good. I'm not lost. So he brings correction. He brings comfort. And then he brings course. Course. Now, remember that I didn't say he brings destination. He doesn't bring the exact, he didn't like drop a pin and say, I'll meet you right here in Galilee. There's a nice falafel place. We'll meet right there. It's going to be great. Can you imagine if I met with you and I was like, hey, let's meet. I'm going to meet you in Kansas City. All right. See you there, buddy. And you're like, uh, like tomorrow? Next week? Next year? Do we, do we want to talk about like a time frame? Do we want to talk about a place? Are we going to meet at a specific place? And so what Jesus and the angel both gave them was course. And Jesus will put you on a course. And you need to be okay with just knowing the course. 
I just know the general direction. He said Galilee. Now, once I get to Galilee, I have no idea where, where we're going to meet at. But the last I heard Jesus say was Galilee. Here we go. And if I feel lost along the way, the last thing Jesus told me was Galilee. So I'm just going to keep going to Galilee. So God will, God will always bring you correction and comfort and course. And just be okay with that. Just be okay with knowing that. And no matter where you're at today, no matter what you're facing, I just, I want you to know that he got up for that. In fact, Jesus' last words, in, in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt and going into the Promised Land, in Deuteronomy 31, he said, Don't, do not be afraid, see a theme there, or discouraged, for the Lord will personally, I like that they put that word in there. He's not just going to send some angels. No, God's like, I'm going to personally go ahead of you. And he will be with you, and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. And then you flip over to the New Testament, and Jesus is like about to ascend, and this is it. Like these are some of Jesus' last words to these, his, his, his followers. And his words were, hey, guys, hey, this has been fun, hasn't it? It's been great. I'm going to go up to my father, but, but I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Find comfort in that. Okay? So when we're on this earth and life is crazy and the world is crazy, right? Can I get an amen? The world is stupidly insane. I think stupid's a bad word, but. Um, actually, a little boy came up to me a couple weeks ago and he said, you said a bad word. I'm like, what? He goes, you said the S word. And I was like, no, I did not. I, I don't know. Now, sometimes I love Jesus, but I might cuss a little, but I did not say that. He said, you said, he said, you said, stew. I go, oh, yeah, I probably said that. Yeah, you're right. right. But this world is crazy. It really is. And what I want to do more than anything is be a godly example of how to live in craziness. And I want to be more known for how I lived in a crazy world than how I tried to fix a crazy world. It's not, I'll do my part. I'm not saying I'm off the hook. I'll do my part, but it is not John Chastain's role to fix the world. And a post on social media sure isn't gonna fix the world. The best witness we could ever be as Christians is to show everyone how to be a peaceful, loving, godly person in a crazy world. So I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know what you're walking through. I know there's a lot of, people here. There's a lot of people in Overflow and watching online and at Edmond. So I, I don't pretend to know the pain that you're going through or the emptiness or how lost you feel or how confused you feel or how much shame you feel or how much regret. I, I don't pretend to understand the weight of your life, but I just came to ingrain these words, these five words into your brain. And four years from now, if your spouse is down, lonely, confused, lost, you need to be able to just look at your spouse and say, he got up for that. And both of you know what they're talking about. No matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're going through, if we will just sometimes take a step back and say, you know what? No, I don't have to be afraid. He got up for that. I don't have to be insecure. He got up for that. Fellas, you don't have to be lustful and get into pornography. He got up for that. You don't need to be insecure. Women, you don't need to be worried about your identity. You don't need to worry about your image and how you look. 
and how you're portrayed on social media. He got up for that crap. Stop. Oh, I shouldn't say that either. But he got up for that. <laughs> Shoot. I almost made it all the way through without. So just be encouraged today by that. Can, can we pray, Father? We thank you that you are here with us. And maybe we forget this. Most of the year, <laughs> we're guilty of drifting and fading and being discouraged and trying to be our own CEO and CFO and COO. But at least in this moment, we're giving all that back to you. We're giving it all back to you, God. We're mindful today that you got up and we're so glad that you did. And whatever my that is, you got up for that. You got up for that so that I could get up. Let, let your children know today, Father, that because you got up, we can too. We don't have to live a life in shame or fear or loneliness. We don't have to feel defeated or lost. And we can get back up on our feet and keep walking out this life, not because of what we do, but because of what you did. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church/give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.